These are questions you can just think about. You don't need to respond to this. Have you ever been a tenant? Have you ever rented an apartment? If so, you probably have a story about one of your landlords. Maybe someone who was a little too friendly. Or maybe someone who wasn't very diligent. Who never got around to fixing that doorbell or replacing the leaky faucet. Here's another question. Just think about it. Have you ever been a landlord? Have you ever rented out property? If so, you probably have a story about one of your tenants. Maybe someone who threw noisy parties. Or maybe someone like me whose beater left oil stains on the road in front of their house. I read a story about one man who rented a three-bedroom house in Kingston to a couple and their grown son. This was late in 2014. In his own words, they interviewed well and seemed like very nice people. But as the story goes, things went south from there. The family kept rabbits, chickens, pigeons, and livestock a goat, according to neighbors, all inside the home. The family used buckets of water to clean the floors and swept dirt and garbage and the animal leftovers down the heating vents. He also shared how the house had been grease-bombed, and I am assuming this is when he started to get in a dispute with them, Being grease-bombed means putting a fatty piece of meat in the oven, turning the heat onto high, and leaving the door slightly ajar so the oil sticks to the walls all around the house. The family also left a stack of overdue bills for thousands of dollars, including $1,400 for utilities, $1,700 for propane, and $2,000 for the telephone and the Internet. In the aftermath the livid landlord removed a staggering nine tons of garbage and after two months was still cleaning up the mess. Pretty wicked tenants, hey? And yet, if you pay attention to our story, they've got nothing. They've got nothing on those tenants we encounter today. Jesus tells a story about a developer who sets up a new vineyard and then rents it out. But when he sends his property manager over to collect the lease payment, they just, they, it's not that they don't open the door to him. They welcome him in and then beat him up. When the developer sends another associate, they actually kill the representative. They end up killing lots of people. They eventually kill the developer's own son. Talk about bad tenants. Now, of course, this isn't a news story. This is a parable. It's a tale which illustrates a spiritual lesson. From the outset, it's clear that the parable is functioning as a sort of allegory. The key to this is that word vineyard. Talking about a vineyard was shorthand 
in Old Testament literature to speak about the nation of Israel. As our Old Testament reading told us, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Understanding that Israel is a vineyard gives us insight into the other characters in the parable. The owner of the vineyard is the Lord. The tenants are the nation's religious leaders. Those servants who come to collect rent are the prophets. And the son who is murdered and tossed outside like garbage, well, that's Jesus himself. In the form of a parable, Jesus recounts the history of Israel and foretells what will be happening to him. Now, in Isaiah 5, the main concern was a fruitless vineyard. The concern, the complaint, was against the actual vines. But here, in Jesus' retelling, the problem is with the tenants, the religious leaders. We are told that his listeners... The scribes and Pharisees understood that Jesus had spoken the parable against him, that he had them in his sights. Jesus is accusing them of using their position of leadership for their own personal benefit while ignoring the very God they were supposed to represent. But while Jesus makes an indictment against these leaders, Jesus also addresses the character of God. Now, you might think that character is summed up in that climactic dark line. And what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants. You might have heard that and completely forgot about everything else in the parable and think to yourself, well, just another instance of that always angry, vindictive Old Testament God. But if you look, listen carefully and look closely, I think you'll see a very different picture painted. A picture of a God who loves his church. A God who longs to see repentance. A God who is determined to claim what is his own. God loves his church. This is maybe not so obvious as can be seen in Isaiah, That parable, that allegory in Isaiah, was set out as a love song. It describes the tender nurture the vintner has for his vineyard that God has for Israel and the church. Jesus doesn't wax so poetically in this parable, and yet the same nurture, careful nurture, can be observed. Not only are the vines planted, but they are also protected with a wall and a watchtower. And then when the landowner has trouble with those tenants, he doesn't walk away from the investment but is determined to hold on, even when it costs him the lives of his servants, even when it costs him the life of his son. Have you ever wondered whether or not God loves his church? Have you ever wondered whether or not God loves St. Andrew's? Well, in this parable, Jesus tells us that he loves it so much, loves us so much, that he gave his only son. God loves the church. God also longs for repentance. Now, in terms of the story, it just doesn't make sense. And that's where you kind of, that's where it fits the model of the parable. The parable, there's often this point in the parable that just sort of boggles the mind. 
it doesn't make sense that the landowner would continue to send the servants after the first one was beaten. I mean, why would he persist in sending one after another, after another, after another? I mean, the beatings of the first two are described by Jesus. Following that, we are told about the first murder. Then, Jesus adds, he sent many others. He sent many others. It just doesn't make sense that the landowner would send so many messengers to speak to those tenants. I mean, why not send send in some mercenaries after the first two? Clear it out! But the landowner seems determined to get a good response from those tenants. It's almost like he's thinking or saying, just let me try one more time. Just one more time. I can win them over. God longs for repentance. Finally, God is determined to claim what is his own. This ultimately flows out of God's love for the vineyard, his church. While God is long-suffering, in the end, God won't let the, re- the religious leader's arrogance or even God's desire for repentance undermine the health of his vineyard and God's claiming of it as his own. What Jesus is telling us here is that the mistreatment of God's people by their religious leaders won't endure forever. He won't let them ruin his church just to establish their own little kingdoms. God will call these leaders to account and replace them with others who will serve God's will. We see this in some of the trials that are being waged against different religious leaders, right? There is an accounting, sometimes in this life, for sure in the next life. This is good news for those who have been spiritually abused by their ministers, maybe even physically or sexually abused. God won't put up with it forever. This is good news for those fearful that the church is missing out on its calling because the community is living out the private ambitions or dreams of someone in leadership. God's goals are what finally matters. God won't let those goals be thwarted by anyone. Jesus spoke this parable against the teachers of the law and the elders. Jesus spoke this parable against people like me. But in a certain sense, it's spoken for and against all of us. God loves his church. God longs for our repentance. And God will call us all to account. As for that latter piece, as someone who takes part in presbytery, the next level of church government, I sometimes get to see the process of that discipline in action. A church has been struggling for a season. What becomes clear after visitations is is that someone in the congregation has built up their own little kingdom. They are 
there are people whose ownership of the church exceeds their authority. When there are questions about worship styles or aesthetics, the use of the building or mission to the neighborhood, they put their foot down and they say, this is my church. And then they dictate to others the way things should be. Beware. Beware when you hear anyone declare adamantly, this is my church. Whoever makes this claim is usually off track. What I've witnessed, well, Presbytery eventually, eventually sends in a commission and clears house. The fact is, it doesn't matter how long we've worked in the vineyard. It doesn't matter how hard we worked in the vineyard. It doesn't matter how much money we've given to the vineyard. It doesn't matter if we've been ordained to serve in the vineyard. It doesn't matter how much respect we have or how many friends we've gathered. When it comes to the church, we are only ever tenants. This is Christ's church. So let us thank God and live in that love that God has for his vineyard. Let us embrace that desire for our repentance. And let us all serve God's will together. Thanks be to God. Amen.